No my hi my and welcome to the Seed Pod Season 3, a podcast where we explore the wonders of nature and our connections to the earth. Each episode, we invite guests to share their stories of nature connection and to nerd out with us about everything from art and conservation advocacy to the fascinating world of fungi. I'm your host and fellow nature enthusiast, Sean Crowley, and I'm excited to dive deep into the natural world with all of you. So sit back, relax, and let's get lost in the beauty of nature. Kia ora koutou. welcome back to the Seed Pod. This is episode 20, and I'm here with Amber. Welcome, Amber. Kia ora. nice to be here. My name's Amber. I'm a conservationist, I'm a massive nature nerd, and I'm an artist. I particularly really love fungi, but all living things I'll nerd about. And currently right now I'm working with Kiwi and Franz Joseph. I always like to start out with a nature connection story. So would you like to share a story from your journey? Yeah, so I think like a lot of very passionate conservationists, it all starts with our childhood. And I think most kids are pretty interested in nature. It's always a very curious, fascinating world. I'd always lived in close proximity with nature. So living on the Wellington coast and then moving into the suburbs near Karori, so into the bush. So I was always really lucky to be around forests and things like, as a kid, like lizards in the garden and things like that always really entertained me. I joined KCC, Kiwi Conservation Club, um, when I was about 11, and I got involved a little bit there. There were some tree plantings and things, and I loved the magazine that they had back then, which was the cartoons of Kahu the Kiwi and the Wicker. I won a competition as well for Kiwi Conservation Club for drawing the best spider. <laughs> so that was, uh, yep, that was a good kick in the direction for art as well for me. And for me, it just continued. It developed and from a fascination into a passion. So your journey started off like many of ours when you were a child. And in Aotearoa, New Zealand, the Kiwi Conservation Club is very well known. And so how did you take this passion that you found as a child and turn that into a career. Would you like to tell us how you got into that, why you were passionate about it, and some of your journey as well? So New Zealand is really particularly quite an interesting place to grow up, especially because of our natural history and because of the uniqueness of the species we have here. So it's it's mostly bird-dominated, and pre-colonialization, that was just birds, there was a few there was a few bats, and then we just had the marine mammals. And humans came along and we brought our pest mammals and that just had a massive impact on our environment, both our birds and our trees and just the entire ecology. So when I started to find out more about these negative impacts on our amazing Tonga species, it started to affect me quite emotionally actually. And so I just, I was like, I cannot just sit here and do nothing. Although I was quite young at the time, there was only so much I could do. I realized like I am going to be a conservation for the rest of my life. This is, this is like, like a passion for life. I decided to devote my life to conservation, protecting and restoring threatened species. So initially while I was in high school, the only way I could really get involved was volunteering. And that was really great getting involved with the community 
uh, there was a lot of tree planting and beach cleanup kind of things going on. And then I, my first proper volunteering for an organization was Wellington Zoo. It was more with that animal care and nutrition. So from there, I moved into Zealandia. And most of my jobs there were working with the hihi that they have there. And hihi, or the stitch bird, are incredibly rare. Um, they're very, very threatened by introduced predators. And my role was pretty basic. It was just making sure that their sugar feeders were maintained and observing them and writing down the bands on their legs and just keeping a check on their numbers and their behaviors. And it was fascinating. It's hard to describe till you're actually around like a whole huge flock of them because they all know I had the sugar feeders. So that was pretty awesome work. And they, I did a little bit of other stuff around there as well, like weeding, um, but it was also really cool to see all the other bird life and just the impact they have on Wellington. Uh, the bird life in Wellington is amazing. In the last decade, there wasn't really any kaka, and now they're just overtaken Wellington, which is pretty cool. They're in their gangs. At that point, I um, moved into university, and I studied a Bachelor of Ecology and Biodiversity. And there, I also continued to volunteer quite a lot. So I joined... Goodall, Jane Goodall Institute, and that was the Roots and Shoots group, which was a youth group that was working to protect and restore nature and our connection to it. And that involved a lot of advocacy work. And that was very valuable. Uh, and then my favorite, of course, was working uh, volunteering at Forest and Bird Youth. That was really cool. That was a really good step in the door, actually. And Sean, of course, introduced me to that she reached out to me because someone had dropped out and I'm really really grateful for that because it has been quite valuable for me it's been um opening quite a few doors so yeah and I started off there as just the arts coordinator and then a little bit later on about a year or so Sean left and I became like a co-coordinator of the whole group yeah and it was really interesting creating networking uh, events trying to get young conservationists you know figuring out where they want to go in their careers and yeah, all those kinds of, and creating events was really fun, working with young people. And then after I'd finished my degree, I decided I actually really love being in the bush. Like I wanted my work to be physically in the field as much as I could. So I decided to do the trainee ranger course at NMIT in Nelson to give me all the practical skills you need to be a ranger. And it covered pretty much everything from recreational work to biodiversity, which is my passion. It was incredibly valuable. And they gave you a work placement. And my work placement was in Abel Tasman with the Department of Conservation. It was mostly just working in the campgrounds, but it was just such an amazing place to work. And that was a foot in the door with Doc as well. Yeah, really, really beautiful area, amazing bird life and forest. And then from there, I took a break from study and everything. I decided for a long time, I'd been thinking about, I really just want to immerse myself fully in nature for quite a long period of time. And it had been in my head ruminating for a while about the Te Araroa Trail, which is the full walk length of New Zealand. We walk from Cape Reinga, the very top of the North Island, to the very bottom, which is Bluff in the south. And this time around, I didn't have quite enough time or funding, so I just have done the South Island. Still planning to do the North, of course, but it was really it was an amazing, um, life changing experience actually. 
just seeing New Zealand in that way and taking it all in very slowly. Yeah, and just and seeing that transition of environment, just even in the South Island, like diversity of transitioning environments and bird life as well. It was really amazing, really amazing. Yeah, and then after that, I managed to very quickly get a job on Stewart Island. It was just for a short amount of time, about four months. But that was an incredibly amazing experience. Stewart Island is a really unique place, um, very small community, very close-knit community. And the bird life there is incredible. There's kakariki and kaka everywhere. Every night there are kiwi outside on your garden just calling out. Yeah, so that was incredibly special. And my work there was working with the uh, Stewart Island Recure Community and Environmental Trust. And after that, um, that's where I am here now. I'm at uh, France Joseph. I'm working at the West Coast Wildlife Center. And they are an organization who help with Operation Nest Egg, which is to bring back a specific number of kiwi through collecting eggs in the wild, bringing them back, incubating them, hatching them, and then rearing them to an age where they'll be big enough and sturdy enough to be released back in the wild. I think it's amazing for the listeners to hear your journey and just, I think that the words that you used, opening doors, is a really good term to use because all of these opportunities if you hadn't had one of them may not have led to the other opportunities. And I think it's really cool to hear the different pathway that you have taken to get to those spots. And something for me, like going to university, I didn't know about the ranger course that you talked about until after I studied. And so it was awesome to hear you talking about that because I'm sure there's other people who also might be interested in doing something similar to that that could lead them into the doors of DOC as well. Now, like many of our other guests, you are a keen artist and you recently did a mural and you actually chose to do this mural on fungi. Would you like to tell us more about how you chose fungi and what you love so much about them? Nature is always an amazing inspiration to me. It's an amazing inspiration to many artists. I always hope to use my art as a tool to show the awesomeness of our unique environment and its inhabitants and us to inspire others to protect it. So why fungi? Well, Fungi are amazing living things. They come in an extraordinary array of shapes and colors. Some even glow in the dark. And some have the ability to turn insects into zombies. The strange, often alien-like forms of life exist commonly in our forests and backyards. They are an integral part of the ecosystem as they pass nutrients to trees and are important recyclers of organic matter. Without them, our beautiful forests just wouldn't be able to exist. And yet fungi are often forgotten in the public eye, uh, with our birds and trees taking center stage. I just really wanted to, uh, through my meal, spread awareness and showcase fungi through art as it connects us and inspires us. Fungi are endlessly fascinating. You can just, I keep learning new things all the time and I'm just mind blowing. And they're so diverse and they really do deserve time in the limelight. Amazing. I I totally agree with that. I think that, absolutely fascinating a really good point as well with the waste recycling because yeah. a lot of that stuff people don't realize it's the small things like the insects and the fungi that if we didn't have them 
then the waste in our world would likely be still around and it would build up. And so they're really crucial parts of that ecosystem. And I'm so glad that you're raising awareness about that through your art as well. An absolutely beautiful mural too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How did you become fascinated with fungi? I've become really fascinated with them mainly through just being out in the bush and you just go for a walk and then you see like these little colors and shapes will pop up and you get a bit of an eye for it. You start looking out for them every time, you walk a bit slower, keep your eyes out for them. Uh, and it was always really exciting to find a new fungus I'd never seen before or something. I was like, this is probably a fungus. So usually I would take a photo and I would go home and either look at one of my field guide books or iNaturalist is a really good resource. Otherwise, Google sometimes helps. I think they're like little mysteries, like little treasures. You go into the bush, you don't know what you're gonna find. Like you might have seen the mushroom the other day, but it will be gone now. So you never know when they're gonna pop up or what's gonna pop up. And of course, I love drawing them. I find them really, really fun to draw because they're all funny shapes. You don't have to be so accurate with them and you can play around with the colors, bright colors, bright greens and purples and blues. My favorite is um, it's Mola Hotchtederi, which is the, the blue mushroom that you see on the $10 note. I've seen that a few times in the wild and they're really beautiful. They just really pop out in the bush because they're so electric blue. It's kind of unreal. I'm really fascinated with their ecology and how they interact with forest ecosystems. When most people think about mushrooms, they often will think about the fruiting body, so like a toadstool, for instance. Um, but that only makes up a very small part, usually, of a mushroom. So most of fungi is underground, and it's a network of mycorrhizae. Mycorrhizal fungi will form mutualistic relationships with trees in the forest. Both organisms will benefit. The fungi will combine their mycelium, which are tiny little threads, that will bore it or cover themselves over the roots of the trees. And they call this the mycorrhizae or mycorrhizal network, uh, which connects individual plants together to transfer water, nitrogen, carbon, and other substances. Fungi will then in return often get carbon from the trees and sugar in that exchange. A German forester dubbed it the wood wide web as it is believed that the mycelium helps the trees to communicate, wanting for disease and stress, which is uh, I thought was incredibly fascinating. We also get these things called hub trees or mother trees, and they're often the older, more seasoned trees within the forest group, and typically they have more fungi connections as well with their roots. The reason they'll have this is because of their age, but also they'll have older roots that can reach right down in the soil and they can find the deep water sources and they'll pull that up and they'll actually transfer it to the younger plants. Usually it's a mother of the same species. The network also helps mother trees to detect if there's a, an, a neighbor that has ill health because it will be sending out distress signals through the mycorrhizae to the mother and then send nutrients back to the stressed uh, individual, which is really special, I think. Fascinating. Another reason why I love them is because fungi are pretty much everywhere. They're, most people typically think they just occur in forests, but they also occur in freshwater, oceans, and in the air, just as spores. 
they can they exist in Antarctica and they also exist in the Sahara Desert. So they're able to uh, live in extreme environments. They're the, the biggest kingdom on the planet. So they're bigger than plants and animals or bacteria. And there's believed to be about 3.8 million, although 90% of those have not been identified, which is kind of mind-blowing to think that there's forests out there full of mushrooms that have never been seen before, could have certain properties that could could create interesting medicines or, yeah. Um, and there's a fossil that was found to believe to be 1 billion years old, and they are believed to be even before plants, the first colonized land. So yeah, they do a lot of firsts, which is pretty cool. <laughs> also, in New Zealand, we have 7,500 species of described fungi. However, I believe that is only a third of the fungi that we believe are actually around. There's still a lot to learn about fungi. And yeah, it's exciting though, very exciting. So next time you're visiting a forest, as you wander through the trees, take a moment to think about the complex exchanges happening underneath your feet. The mycorrhizal network is critical to supplying the life-giving nutrients that keep forests healthy. Also keep your eyes out for fruiting bodies, the most visually interesting part of the fungi. Treat your next bushwalk like a little fungi treasure hunt. That's what I always like to do. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing about fungi. I... There's so many things that you said that I didn't even know, and I am absolutely fascinated, as are you, with the mycorrhizal networks under our feet, the things that we can't see, and those symbiotic relationships that they have. One of my favorite organisms is lichen, and that's a symbiotic relationship between algae and fungi. And it's just so fascinating to see the different forms, the different colors, the different shapes, textures, all of them. It's just they're so fascinating to me and I love them so much. And I really do love that like deep connection that you find when you're looking really close at those small things amongst the forest layers. So as an artist, you have also been involved in illustrating for the Kiwi Conservation Club magazine, which is pretty exciting since that's one of the main ways that you got involved in conservation and passionate in the first place. So I'd love to hear about your creative process and what that looks like for you. Awesome. Yeah, so it is a pretty awesome privilege to be able to contribute to a magazine that really inspired me when I was a kid because I loved growing up waiting for the Kiwi Conservation Club magazine to be in the mailbox and filling out all the little activities and things in there. I have been asked on occasion to contribute some art and I've done projects like what's on my plate. So showing what certain introduced predator species like possums and stoats, what they eat typically. We also did a spot the different between a forest with no introduced herbivores like goats, deers, and pigs, and then one with them, which was obviously very barren compared to the non-introduced mammals one. And then um, various other things as well, mostly just to do with animals uh, and some posters as well, Um, things that are quite entertaining for kids. So usually what I get is a brief through the, the Kiwi Conservation Club manager, and together we kind of figure out what exactly they're looking for and how I can achieve that for them. And I'll start it off with some initial sketches, 
just kind of some rough stuff and get that approved through them so they know what I'm going to be doing and they're all happy with that before I go into the final product because to do a final artwork, it does take time. Um, so you want to make sure that what you're going to be doing is what they really want. I always think about who I am making the art for. And for Kiwi Conservation Club, it's young people. And so I want to make the pages interesting, something that kind of catches your eye. Something I really loved as a kid was reading like I spy books or books where you'd open a page and it would be covered in like hundreds of different animals and you've got to find something within that. I always loved those books. I'd lose myself in them. So I kind of always wanted to sort of do illustration a little bit like that as well. Um, make it really fun and um, eye-catching. Um, yeah, so close to realism, but also a bit cartoonish, so it's quite fun as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I absolutely loved I Spy books as well. They're just so entertaining <laughs> being able to find all of the different things and, like, also challenging for your mind. Mental exercise in a fun way. And it's so cool to be able to use your talents for your illustration and art alongside science communication and to be able to find ways to connect to that audience as well in a fun, engaging way while they're learning, which is, it's a hard skill to hone and I think you've done really well with it. Thank you. <laughs> Now, I'd love to hear more about your time that you spent on Rakiura or Stewart Island and maybe some of the interesting or cool wildlife experiences that you had there. I went to Stewart Island after I did the Tiaroa Trail. I'm just at the beginning of uh, winter, so it was a quiet season over there in terms of uh, tourists. Um, but it was a very, very rewarding experience. It was just an extraordinary place to live, a uh, very small community. Uh, quite tight-knit, but majority of the island is national park. Only people, there's about 300 people there, probably a bit more, and they all just live in one area, which is Oban Half Moon Bay, um, and that's basically like 1% or 2% of the island, where the rest is all bush. So it's a nature nerds playground. It's like, <laughs> it's mind-blowing. And this round, I, I really wanted to go to the other side of the island, and I really wanted to do the 10-day circuit, the northern circuit, they're really cool tracks. Didn't get around to doing it this time, but it gives me a reason to go back. So yeah, and the reason why I went there, I found out about a trust that was there, the uh, Stewart Island Rakiura Environmental and Community Trust. And they were looking for rangers to help in the field, mainly with weed work. So targeting Darwin's Barbary was a big one. Um, it's a very, very invasive plant. They grow incredibly fast. They're hardy and they just do really well in our conditions, which is just unfortunate because most of our native species are slow growers and they just get outcompeted. And then the birds like the berries of the Darwin Barbary, so that doesn't help. But um, yeah, so that was very fun. We got to do a lot of bush bashing and grid searching throughout the whole of Oban area. So it was just local. Um, Department of Conservation deals with the national park and all the islands. But yeah, it was really cool to get involved with the community as well. And everyone there was quite enthusiastic about the work that the Trust was doing, especially because there was quite a lot of young people working for it. Yeah. And the other part of the work would be trapping. So we're trapping for rats. We also had a few cat traps out there as well. There is a little bit of a problem with wild cats there. But yeah, it was our main focus was rats, uh, just creating perimeter, perimeter barriers 
where we knew there were nesting birds like titi, which are the mutton bird, which are both just interesting seabirds, but they're also culturally significant because people, especially Maori, will eat mutton bird for special occasions like matariki, which I was lucky enough to be on the island during matariki and they had an event where they were harvesting and processing the titi. Really eye-opening and fascinating to learn about. And we also got to work on Olva Island a few times. Uh, it was all run by Doc, but sometimes they just needed some extra assistance. There's a lot of work to do out there. And they only recently had issues where they'd been predator-free completely, and then some Norway rats, which do swim, unfortunately got onto the island. So it was all systems locked down. And um, so we were over there. We helped them uh, relocate traps and also set up tracking tunnels on the island. Of Island's a really special place. It's got home to many sea lions, which are very diff- interesting. I'm used to first seals, seeing them in Wellington and throughout the South Island, but uh, sea lions are much larger. They're a bit more curious and playful. Very, very cool to come across. And the bird life on Oliver Island was amazing. They have some very incredibly rare South Island saddleback, or teake, and they also have the yellow-crowned kakariki, as well as mahoi, which is the yellow head. And they also had kiwi as well, and various other birds too. That was really special to be able to go out there and work there and just be like, I'm living my dream. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit of paradise down there, honestly. it's Yeah, I miss it a lot. I also got to work on the nursery we had there for the trust. I was just a little one, but we had native plants there. And we'd eco-source the plants from the bush and then plant them until they're big enough and then we would either sell them back to the community for a really like a couple dollars or we would do tree plantings ourselves there was a tiny little island called the nugget next to the main little cove of oban and we cleared the weeds off that and then replanted it hopefully um they'll all be able to grow and then no gorse will be able to come back yeah and then on my last week actually uh we were doing some just last minute uh, Barbary work. We're on the coast. I managed to see a fjord and crested penguin. That was pretty special. We heard them before we saw them. We we're wondering like, what's that? It sounds penguinish. And they've just been coming back now from their winter um, feeding and they're gonna start nesting and breeding soon. So that's why they're being very vocal. That was really special. We got to go down to the rocks and kind of watch them from a distance and uh, yeah it was really really special didn't get to see a hoi ho uh, they're pretty notorious for being very shy especially on your mm-hmm. island so that one's on the bucket list but yeah it was very very cool to be a part of all this and knowing that the trapping as well as the weeding is going to be benefiting these animals and actually seeing it in, in the field too is really really rewarding um, especially on a rainy awful day you're like why am I doing this and then you see the birds and you're just like this is why I'm doing this so yeah, I really, really love my time on Shot Island and really grateful for it. Absolutely amazing. And such biodiversity that you talk of as well. I just wonder whether you'd like to add to that, you know, what was it like living on an island, hearing the bird song as you woke up? So uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, every day, morning and evening, you just hear the kakariki and the kaka. And the bowlbirds, there were a tui, but it was more bowlbirds than tui. Just all the birds were going off in the mornings. And then in the evenings, 
Stewart Island is well known for their Kiwi population, the South Island Brown, which is the Tokueka. There's a massive population on Stewart Island. They pretty much run the place. There's like per person, there's one person, there's like 200 Kiwi. Um, they're pretty much on your lawn. Uh, they'll be outside the pub at the, uh, in the, the town. So they're everywhere and you hear them making their calls every night. So it's really special, really special. Yeah. You don't miss the city too much when you uh, hear all that every day. Yeah, and see that. For sure. And also, is it Stewart Island that is notorious for having Kiwi around during the daytime? Yes, actually. I did see one once, just a glimpse. During the daytime, it was about maybe 10 or 11 o'clock. Yeah, and they, they think that's because there are so many of them and that maybe there's more competition for food. They'll be out a little bit longer. Plus, there's no threats from stoats. So Stewart Island is completely has no stoats or ferrets. There's no mice or pigs. So the only threat really is rats uh, and cats. But they definitely have more of a chance because of that. And I think maybe that could be why they're a bit more boisterous. But people don't really know. But it is very cool. Now, I think that leads perfectly into the work that you're currently doing. So would you like to share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So currently now I'm in uh, Franz Joseph. I'm on the West Coast and I'm working for the West Coast Wildlife Center. And they are a uh, organization who uh, operate with Operation Nest Egg, which is a dock run project where they're trying to get a uh, breed, a certain amount of kiwi, where you collect the eggs from the wild. Um, because they have such a low chance of success out in the wild, as low as 5% of Kiwi will reach adulthood from an egg. So in order to help, we collect the eggs from the wild and bring them back to these facilities where we have incubators and then we can look after them and do some candling to check the egg quality, like to see if they're alive. And then eventually when they hatch, they get raised in a uh, brooding pen really well looked after. I uh, will check on them every day, give them health checks, give them food. And then eventually they put, put them in a bigger pen and until they're about maybe a year old, that's when they're gonna start looking at releasing them back in the wild. They never wanna keep Kiwis in captivity for too long. It's always in mind that they will be eventually released so that they can fight off hopefully predators like the stoats, which are their biggest, biggest predator. Especially with young chicks and eggs, they just, don't really stand a chance and currently at the west, uh, west coast wildlife center there are two adult kiwi there are no eggs or chicks being raised in the facility at the moment but yeah we do have the two adults so we have one male and one female northern browns uh one is koro he's the male and tiu is the female she's really really feisty she will chase you and beat you up <laughs> They tried to have them together in the same enclosure, but she was a bit too aggressive, so they just split them apart. It's a good sign to see, though. We need feisty mums and dads to be able to protect their chicks and eggs in the wild, so it's a good sign. Yeah, and it's quite fun to work with. They definitely have personalities. And then the other part is working with Tuatata as well. So there are about seven Tuatata. There are two boys. Well, we think one's a boy. He's a bit young to know. Uh, one big boy, he's about 30, and then we've got five females ranging around the age of 20. They're, they're very chill to look after. 
but they're very interesting. The behavior is um, some are a bit more brave than others. They'll come right out and they'll look at you and check you out, whereas others are a bit more skittish. And then also part of the job is to take people on tours. So there were guided tours that we provide and I will give them a really in-depth informative talk about Kiwi and then the Operation Nestig and then also an up-close encounter with Tuatara as well. Yeah, so at the moment I've only been here for a little while so I'm still learning the ropes but it's really, really exciting work. Uh, they're going to get a Kiwi expert coming down to help train me so that's going to be really exciting and they're still talking about future uh, eggs and chicks coming into the facility so that's a future thing that possibly will happen but yeah it's a really 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 exciting opportunity i'm really grateful to be here and can't wait to see where it goes yeah yeah for sure it's such exciting work i was lucky enough to have a very small glimpse into working with um operation nest egg and i've done a few kiwi releases and tours with schools going through facilities like that and just being able to provide an opportunity where kids are able to connect to and adults alike are able to connect to this Kiwi icon because it is like we're known as Kiwis here in Aotearoa mm. like that's what we call us as people and it's such an mm -hmm. icon that not many people get to actually experience in real life and so being able to show them the chicks up close and even you know taking adults through who have lived in Aotearoa for their whole life and they've never experienced a Kiwi so just getting that moment where it connects you to your identity but also being able to show them the candling the whole process of like showing them the light beaming through the egg and where it's sitting in the egg and then hearing it chirp and rock mm -hmm. inside the egg but also I was there once with, and this is at White Arcade, predator-free sanctuary and golf course. We saw a kiwi chick hatch in front of our eyes. And that was just oh, the God. most spectacular thing. And it came out with a little mohawk and it just looks like oh. an adult kiwi, but miniature. And I just mm -hmm. think it's so satisfying to be able to witness that creature, but also to, to see those really special moments and know that mm -hmm. the work that you're doing with the trapping the work that we're doing in our communities is so crucial to keep those Kiwi alive because, as you say, if we're not doing that trapping work, then barely any Kiwi survive with stoats because they're so ferocious and they're so quick. So I'm really stoked that you're able to get this experience and to get trained in Kiwi handling as well is just amazing. With Tuatara, they're born with three eyes, right? Yeah, so they have two pretty normal eyes, um, and then they're born with one eye on the top of their head. And you can kind of feel it on their skull. As they get older, the skin gets thicker up there, so they don't really use it. And they, the scientists still don't really understand why they have a third eye. They think it's possibly to do with when they're in the egg, to do with being able to see shadows pass over them. There's a lot of little theories. But yeah, it's just one of those things about them that just makes them so interesting. And I'd like to point out they're not a lizard. Everyone likes to think they are. They're more like a dinosaur, but they're not also not a dinosaur. Um, they were around during the dinosaurs. 
and yeah they're just such a cool animal especially up close when you really look them in the eye they're just they're really special beautiful beautiful animals and yeah they're just just so cool <laughs> untouched by evolution they're like a glimpse into the past in a way yeah yeah especially yeah batata are unusual but kiwi are very unusual too and as you were saying before about how a lot of New Zealanders haven't necessarily seen a Kiwi or really understand a Kiwi. When we get people on the tours, they're so amazed. They're like, whoa, like Kiwi are so weird. <laughs> they have so many strange adaptions, like their little wings and yeah. how they have like kind of furish like feathers, nocturnal. Yeah, they are strange birds. Technically as well, they have the shortest beak uh, yep. only because the way that they usually will measure a beak is from nostril to tip but with kiwi they have their tip uh, their nostrils right at the tip so but i think they just kind of they let that one slide because they obviously have a very long beak but yeah, yeah. i love that <laughs> yeah. the technicalities of science when there's those oddballs that don't work within yeah. the, the restraints sure that we've given measurements about it <laughs> Do you happen to have a success story that you'd like to share with us? In Franz Joseph, or at least this area in the West Coast in particular, that we are trying to breed the Rowi Kiwi, which is only from, from this area. And they are the, there are five species of Kiwi and they are the least like popular. So there's only, originally there was only 150 of them about a decade ago. And now through Operation Nesteg, the goal was to get 600 and they've reached that goal and at the West Coast Wildlife Centre, they reared about uh, 350 of those. So it was really exciting work. Oh man, that's absolutely amazing. That's such a success story. And it's yeah. just, it's awesome to have those moments, right? Because some of the work can be really challenging. So it's awesome to hear those success stories, especially with the rarest type of Kiwi. I think for those overseas as well who are listening, hopefully you'll know of the Kiwi, amazing birds. They are flightless, but they do have those vestigial wings as you're talking about. And if you ever get to see a Kiwi up close, often they'll show show the little vestigial wings and they're like little chicken wings. And obviously they can't fly with them, but they're kind of remnants from back in the day when the Kiwi would have had wings. Do you have a nature fact that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, so I kind of have a two. So apparently fungi are more related to us than they are plants. So people often look at fungi and they'll think, you know, it's kind of plantish, it's in the forest, it grows out of the ground. But no, the kingdom of fungi is more related to animals than it is plants. So I thought that was kind of interesting. We have more in common with them than they do with plants. And also the other fact I'd like to note, I found this out recently and I was kind of like mind blown. So I thought I had to share this. So the world's largest organism may very well be by mass, area and volume, a fungus called Armillaria ostoye, uh, dubbed humongous fungus, covers approximately 3.5 square miles, which is 9.1 uh, square kilometers, which is pretty massive. Um, and possibly they think it weighs up to about 35,000 tons. This is also the mycorrhizae, so it's all underground. But yeah, it is huge, and it is the largest 
organism on the planet and they think it might also be one of the oldest as well so it's pretty cool Booper foot. <laughs> yeah that's amazing thanks so much for sharing those facts i wonder how the scientists found out about this humongous fungus under the ground like, yeah how do they approximate the weight of things like that that just blows my mind yeah i i want to look into that actually i'm sure that they must have maybe done something with the mycorrhizae or found that it was just all interconnecting like soil samples possibly yeah yeah but it's really fascinating it's really really cool and that whole forest was connected by that mushroom as well Mm. so yeah it's it's a pretty fascinating it would be really cool to visit that and just like yeah. know that you're standing on top of it <laughs> when i first heard about it i thought when they said humongous fungus i thought of like the giant fruiting body like <laughs> massive but no it's all underground <laughs> yeah so it makes a lot more sense yeah. yeah yeah i was looking up photos and there was no big mushrooms unfortunately <laughs> um the mushrooms look pretty normal um but the the body of it all underground is yeah massive massive wow oh that's awesome well thank you so much for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure talking all things fungi all of your journeys and your amazing opportunities that you've had the amazing spaces that you've explored as well so thank you for sharing your stories with us Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here. Yeah, I love opportunity to nerd out. So thank you, Sean. No worries. <laughs> now, if you'd like to join our listener community, head over to our link tree. This is linktr.ee forward slash the seed pod underscore nz. This is a place where you're able to find links to all of our social media platforms listening platforms, and also, if you wish to, you can subscribe to our mailing list. Thanks!